everyone, welcome to Book Conversations. We're your hosts, Sayed and I'm Mahmouda. Join us as we have conversations inspired by books. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Book Conversations. This episode's conversation is inspired by Christy Lefteri's The Beekeeper of Aleppo. Suad, what is the book about? Uh, it's a 2019 novel that deals with the flight of refugees from Syria to Europe during the civil war. It's a fictionalized story that's inspired by the author's experience of volunteering in, the, in Athens at a refugee center. Right, okay, so the main characters of the book, you have two couples, Nuri and Afri, which the book follows. Nuri is a beekeeper and Afri, his wife, is a painter. And then you have the second couple, Mustafa and his wife. So Mustafa is Nuri's cousin and he's also a beekeeper. Um, and they have a, what do you even call it together? I don't know what you call it. Oh, apiary? A- yeah, I think Ooh, that's the word, isn't it? So when the war breaks out in Aleppo, they're both they're both forced to flee. Mustafa and his wife leave first after their son is killed. Uh, but Nuri and Afri stay for a while because Afri is sort of like hesitant to leave Syria. But then the war, as the war intensifies and rebels try to get Nuri to join them, they decide to leave. So essentially, the 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 novel follows their journey from Turkey and Greece to Britain. Right. So what were your overall thoughts of the book? It reminded me of two books, Boy Everywhere by A.M. by Az A.M. Dasu, which actually is a middle grade fiction novel, but I think really also captures the experience of being a refugee and like the journey that they make. It also reminded me of oh, what's his name, Omar El Akkad's What Strange Paradise. I think the difference between the two of them is that Omar's book, for example, was written from the children's perspective, which is so different. I really, really enjoyed this book a lot. Mm-hmm. The twists at the end or towards the end was really good. I feel like, I mean, you could kind of tell, but I, it was done really well. And I'm going to echo something you're probably going to say as well, but I, I really love how fiction humanizes experiences. I say that because sometimes things happen and we distance ourselves from those situations. And fiction is a good way to make to bring those things to reality. And for me, I'll say particularly with stories about refugees or or migrants or quote unquote illegal migrants, right? People who flee countries, people who travel on the boats, people who are escaping something. I think fiction has been very important in helping me understand the experiences, particularly because I feel like when the news talks about them, the news talks about them from a very negative perspective. You only get the negative, you don't really get the opportunity to empathize. They've already painted how you're supposed to see them yeah but with fiction i feel like if an author does their job well there's no room for judgment you take the character as they are and you kind of follow their lives and see what brought them to where they are so and as i said i'm reminded of um travelers by helena biller oh yeah also how you can absorb people's experiences right and what led them to the positions that they're in and that's why i really liked this book i also loved her representation of the characters like the characters muslim I mean, we've spoken about this before briefly, but the character is Muslim and it's not shoved down your throat. It's just he's Muslim and that's just his way of life. And that reflects in the things that they do, but it's not told to you over and over again. Um, it's just blended into the story. And I think she does a good job writing that as well. I really enjoyed the book. Before. Yeah, I have to check when I was reading the book whether the author was Muslim or not, because she really did do a great job in terms of yeah representation, I would say anyway. 
the author is not Muslim as far as I can tell. Yeah, she's not. She's not. What are your thoughts about the book? Yeah, I agree with your sentiment. I think, especially considering how much anti-immigrant sentiment is rising in our society, not just in the UK, but just across the world in general, books like this that tell stories or that humanize the stories of refugees are really, really important. And I think, like you were saying, with in fiction, you are forced to just follow the lives of people and leave your... I guess assumptions leave your it's it's a blank slate that you're working with and I think that's really important because when I'm reading the book it just especially with the way the book starts right like you have these two couples who are living to some extent like lives that they're very happy with lives that are joyous lives where they're surrounded by their families they get to do they're fam- literally they're connected with nature they are thriving they have their children everything is great and so for them to be uprooted from that environment in a violent way and you see with the two characters the moments where like all hope is lost of them staying in the country and having to leave um, and decision making behind that I think it's so important and I think one thing that's really great about it because when I finished reading I went on Twitter as well and it was nice to see other people reading the book and having similar kind of thoughts or opinions about how yeah just how much it, it portrays the decisions that people have to make and for us to when we no, have conversations empathy to have them with a bit of common sense because on on British TV nowadays the way people talk about um refugees trying to um cross the channel it's almost like we make it seem like it's a it's a recreational activity like it's a fun thing that you just decide to do with we make it seem like oh we they believe that the UK is so much better they're here because they have no choice these things they do is is literally at the point where it's either you stay and get killed or you leave because a lot of them don't want to leave their homes and where they've known all their lives. Yeah. So it's it's not usually a thing of, oh, I want to go to this country because it's all better and green. And it's the struggle is what to get here. And also, I guess, like, beyond that, the, the sense of, like, statelessness that people feel. Because when they are, you mm. get to see different points mm. in the journey of Nuri and his wife, Afri. Um, so there is the time where they where they the are places that right they, keep they are in a camp and you get to see different dynamics there as well when they eventually get to the UK and they are in sort of like a refugee a house with other refugees so you get to see this sense of statelessness like I said being contrasted with the beginning where they are thriving where they are joyous where there's a sense mm-hmm. of home mm-hmm. there's a sense of peace that comes with that and and how people navigate navigate it so like our two main conversation because I, I wanted us to talk about this book because I think it's quite topical considering everything that's happening in the UK right now so the two main conversation is around Pretty Patel essentially wanting to send all of us back <laughs> and then number two like how we deal with um how we process trauma because I think it's quite fascinating how it happens with Nuri and Afri in different ways so first of all let's start with our current home secretary <laughs> I didn't think it could get worse than Sergeant Your John. current home secretary <laughs> our current home secretary oh god and I didn't think it could get worse because we talked about Sajid Javid. What book was it? Was it Home Fire when we were talking about Home Office secretaries making decisions and how authors, like how authors de- depict them? And here we are, how many years later? Yeah, I know, right? How we're like, it's so real and look at this. And 
I can't believe it. But I feel like we're in a much worse state than we were before. You really are. Like, and that's why I'm I'm kind of as much as Johnson. Imagine Pretty Patel becoming Prime Minister. We're all done. I don't for. know why she keeps acting as if she's like, oh we're all done for if she becomes Prime Minister. Okay, so the point that I want to make, I feel like in our conversation, there's a lot of mistruths that we've just accepted as truth when we talk about refugees. And I think that the media to some extent is complicit in it not all media because some of the sort of like explanations that I'm going to give here are from media sites but number one the first point that I want to make is our political choices have consequences and so when we speak about voting with people especially people who vote Tory sorry I'm going to call you out if you vote Tory when we speak about you know the consequences of the political choices that we make people are like oh I'm voting for this party because of the economic benefit that they give me I'm voting for that party because they protect my interest I'm voting for xyz party because they will curb immigration but and I would love I would honestly love to speak with a conservative that's really happy with this government and for them to just explain to me the benefit that they're getting from this government because I feel like we're all getting shafted anyway back to the refugee point so under this government, we have a new bill that is being passed. It hasn't been completely passed. It's called the Nationality and Borders Bill. Um, it's passed through the House of Commons. I was just thinking about how we've been trying to fight this. I mean, all of those petitions that you signed, and I remember getting the notification saying, obviously after people had signed the petition, you know how when you get to a certain number, they say that they're going to discuss this in Parliament. Yeah. And then I got the email saying they discussed it and they're still going to move on. Mm-hmm. With it, and I just kept thinking, did we really have a choice or have a say in this anyway? And it was almost it was done on a low low whilst there was other distracting matters like exactly. the party that was going on in this country can distract. They use distraction to kill people. Distraction, I swear, I feel like all everyone does that. Just not not just the UK government. Distraction is the is the name of the game. But yeah, so thankfully it hasn't completely passed. But like you were saying, even though people have been challenging it at different points in turn. It's almost looking like it's inevitable right now. I hope it doesn't, I hope it does not pass. I genuinely hope it does not pass um, because it's been debated by the Lords. But anyway, talking about the consequences of this bill that our current Home Secretary has proposed in her attempt to curb refugees coming into the UK. So one of the impact of the bill is that asylum seekers arriving by boats could face up to four years in prison if the law passes. Almost 6 million people would be eligible to have their British citizenship taken away without notification by the government. And I was watching this video because you know me, I like to play devil's advocate. I like to entertain the opposing view. (laughs) And um, I was watching this presenter on GMB News who was saying, well, the bill doesn't introduce anything new anyway because the Home Secretary has the power to revoke people's um, people's citizenship. The only new thing that this bill gives them is the power to strip it away without notifying them. And she's black, by the way. And I was looking at her and thinking, Oh God, there's no one give me just to... <laughs> I was kind of thinking, what world? <laughs> Would you think adding that extra clause of her being able to do it without notification? And she said, it, it would only happen in exceptional circumstances. I'm just thinking, anyone would know that that, is, that word is very much open to interpretation. Anyone, especially with this government, exceptional circumstances can be inter- interpreted in the most interesting of ways. So yeah, that's my little let me play devil's advocate moment. And then the third thing is um the bill 
obviously this is just a brief summary it opens up the possibility of offshore detention for refugees and asylum seekers what are your thoughts my thoughts are that this country is trash and i don't know <laughs> what they expect because when you first of all when you i just think about this all the way back to you've invaded other people's countries you've taken their you've taken away the opportunity for them to build themselves alongside you around the same time you're building yourself right you took away you also instigate war you support war you sell arms you basically just cause trouble and i don't understand why they don't expect like that people would want to come to this their country there's nothing special about the country anyway but when people are running for their lives it's not about whether your country is special or not it's just having somewhere to be right to survive for some people it's just i have kids i want to raise and so on but i feel like we the country not we god the country likes to evade responsibility how many of these laws are you going to put up whilst you continue to cause trouble in other places i just bro i remember reading about the law and i was just thinking what is the thing that they don't want power to do in in, in this country they want the power to do anything um, and I also fear that there is a, not fear, I don't know if fear is the right word, but there is a lack of accountability. Mm. But then the question is, how do you hold people accountable? Like something like this, we didn't find out about it, or it was on the hush-hush, at least for a while. And yeah. by the time we found that, it was a thing of, oh, take action, sign this petition because you're about to do this. So how do we know, like, is it possible to learn about these things earlier? I think that's a really, really good question, honestly. And I would love to have someone who's perhaps like more politically astute to join us in a future episode for us to talk about political participation for just like your everyday citizens. Because like you said, obviously we've elected these MPs on our behalf, but in the cases of laws that are that are unjust, how do we challenge them before it gets to this stage? But also I think what we're underestimating is that the conservatives got voted in because people voted for them even though it's like of course process. i'm not underestimating that since brexit i've already accepted that people in this country don't want me to be alive and when you watch and when you watch channels like gmb news you realize that sentiment of keep them out of the country keep them out of the country is very much alive and so one of the things i really that's how brexit got top votes it was from that stupid poster that what's that guy's name niger farage with the um refugees on the boats and they were like we're gonna keep them out of our country and lots of people voted for brexit that infamous that infamous poster one of the things that i really wanted to clarify in this podcast because you know basically there's a lot of things that we've let that we've let that have been let slide i was like they've been let slide been let slide whatever the word is so number one when people talk about um asylum seekers by the way we as a country are bound by international law i just wanted to clarify that by international law to accept asylum seekers because what what happens is and this is why i always say words matter is that you you have people in in office or who hold political positions who use words carelessly because they understand the impact that they, they that they want to make so someone like priti patel will consistently say it's illegal for what do you call it it's it's illegal for people to cross through the channel and then seek asylum and i was reading it today and this is a news article from the 30th of january 2022 and judges ruled last year that refugees trying to reach a british port or um to be intersected at sea have not committed a crime but our lovely home secretary will go up in parliament and consistently say it's illegal but it's actually not (laughs) 
Where did they find her? I mean, I need to know. Where did they find this woman? I mean, she's been Boris Johnson brought her back from the abyss. <sighs> um, Boris Johnson brought her back from the abyss. So, <laughs> it's so stressful, Evanson. Oh. So I wanted to clarify that. Every that time she's in the news, it's never good. It's never a good thing. Ever. I don't think I've ever seen her name. Never, it's never, ever, ever a good thing. Okay, the other thing that I really wanted to clarify is this. Oh, because when we talk about asylum seekers, when we talk about refugees, the way the national conversation has been going, it's almost like people want to make it seem like it's an epidemic, like, oh, people are trying to invade your country. So I said, let me bring the facts and data today. Let me just read off for some of you. In 2020, the UK received applications for asylum for 37,000 people. 38,000, if I'm rounding up for you. 38,000 so the UK receives less applications than Germany and Spain. Exactly. Like in in the context of the entire population of this country, 37,000 is really a drop in the ocean. But the way in which the, the vim and the energy that our government is approaching this, you would think we had 200,000 people coming into the country. You would think we had a million people coming into the country. I think it's also just a distraction again from mm. all the other problems that we're facing in the country. Yep. I don't know, this, I feel like this country is very good at, like, and also I think they are very good at blowing things, making things seem like they're not, or maybe I should just call it lying. And again, I think back to Brexit. There was a guy at my workplace who had voted Brexit, actually two people. One of them was open about it, some black guy, and the other one wasn't, some white guy. And, and both of them had the same argument of, as to why they voted Brexit. It was like, oh, because the, the Tories were saying about the economy, right? You're gonna have more money. We're gonna pay this, 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 and we're not gonna pay this much. And they kept talking about the economic benefits. But then after the voting happened, initially it was the next day that all of those claims were shattered. Yeah. And we're all seeing a different tune. And I think again, this country is good at blowing things out of proportion and making it seem bigger than it is, when in reality it's not. And I feel like because it also knows that quite a few people are lazy to go do the research in terms of. Let me cross-check if this is right. Let me cross-check if it's, for example, when they say, oh, these people are stealing our money, they're stealing our jobs. Or when you go to the root of that argument, nobody's stealing your money, nobody's stealing your job. If I apply for a job and you apply for a job, you're going to get it before I do most of the time. Or they say, oh, these people are getting all the benefits. But when you go back and break down the kind of benefits that people get, but then also the kind of expenses that they have, you know that majority of people are not actually playing the system and not even getting enough to take care of themselves. Sometimes they actually get food vouchers or replaced to money. Mm. But again, it's just rounding everything up into one big argument and making it seem like seem like more than it is. The way is it's what we're very up. good at. Yeah. And then there was another one. So, again... Our Home Secretary is very popular for saying like loads of people. Okay, so here's, here's, again, I'm putting on my little devil's advocate hat. Not that I ever want to be playing devil's advocate for someone like that. But if the conversation is around deterring people from crossing through the channel, which is, of course, very, very dangerous. And again, we've talked about why people would do that in the first place. If the, if the conversation is about deterring people, then the alternative route is to provide safer ways for people to seek asylum. It, it's not to criminalise the ways that people already come in here because she talks about how it's 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 going to be some form of deterrent. But the data doesn't actually show that ever since the, the, the conversation around this, that the numbers have reduced. The numbers have not reduced. They are she doing it for the right reason? Of course not. 
Exactly. This is about looking tough. Why is she acting like she's making doing a favor for us? This is about looking tough. This is about looking tough. And I can't believe I'm actually quoting Macron. I'm quoting the French president who himself has issues. Yeah. The French president already has his own issues. But anyway, he said um, there needs to be legal, stable routes to be able to migrate to the UK. And this is a situation that we're confronted with. And I was reading um, an LSE article. Shout out to LSE. This is the only time I'm ever going to quote you guys. Um, I'll put that in the link where um, the professor was talking about how the only way to the only way for us to come to a sensible solution around this it's not the approach that our government is currently trying to push through it is to provide much more safer ways and right now they have no interest in doing so so like we often hear claims that people who are trying to cross the channel um, are are not genuine asylum seekers. And again, my my research shows, so this is a report from a refugee council report, um, and it's also based on home office data, and it shows that two-thirds of people who cross the channel in small boats are judged to be genuine refugees and allowed to remain, which contradicts Patel's claim that 70% of small boats arrivals are not genuine asylum seekers. So just the fact that we have people in government who can get away with telling lies of this magnitude, of very in magnitude starting from Boris Johnson to our home the first time I was about to say that's not the first time they lied <laughs> exactly it's like at this point no one even cares whether they lied or not <laughs> we're just like yeah we already know they're not going to give us the truth so let it just slide by well, that sucks because why should, when you have something like a government that you trust and you believe in and I mean that's why we have these systems in place right so that the country can go smoothly people do their job everyone is in different positions so that everything can work perfectly but yeah. if you can't trust the people in power, then like, what do you do? It's really worrying. And this COVID stays a lot, right? Because, sorry, but a lot of women, lots of people were talking about how there's um, COVID is showing all of the um, bias and the racism in the system and so on. And people were ranting. Some mm. people were not speaking up. But then when they found out that there was a party in the conservative, the conservatives to a party, yeah. and which meant that they that's when they started speaking up. Why is it that we have to wait until something affects us before we start to see the problem with with the situation? Mm, I feel like we need to grow more in terms of empathy because sometimes a lot of things are not right, but we just we turn a blind eye to it because it's not affecting us and we're fine and we're safe and so on. But it's only a matter of time before they come and bite you as well. And then what are you going to say? Just back to your other point about political participation honestly i feel like we need to start speaking more about political apathy because i'm seeing more and more on my timeline at least on twitter people who have no interest in voting in the next election and i get it oh my god i've heard people say that a lot i've seen like especially young people and i get it because even right now i'm starting to feel a sense of like powerlessness in the situation that we're finding ourselves in because right now despite everything that this government has done it doesn't know ever come so then for a lot of people it's like why should i vote anyway but again i just want to emphasize mm-hmm. our political choices have consequences and of course it doesn't come down to just us because we i mean we weren't the ones that voted them in the first place so then it's like the people that are voting conservative how do we create a situation where we can have conversation i think just conversations across the across the aisle right now it is challenging because it can it just easily dissolves into I don't want to like say attacking but it's just I just feel like we've gotten to the point to a point where we're very tribal in our opinions and I just don't know how we change the political situation that we're in right now because it's gonna be untenable for all of us very soon yeah I I just think not voting is the answer though 
You don't think not black that's people are but you can understand that people who voted for Jeremy Corbyn. No, I understand why people don't want to vote, right? What's his name? Ed Miliband. I totally get it. Yeah. But when I think about Brexit and I think about the small numbers in the difference in percentage, I think about all those who didn't vote and how maybe, maybe that would have made the difference. I get it. Again, I understand why it's difficult to vote because you're like, what's the point? But there are still lots of people who are going to vote and they're continuing to back leaders that we don't want in, in, in power. Yeah. So what are we going to do about that? That's the thing. Because not voting is a choice, right? But then that's also a decision that you're making to, hopefully not, but to possibly have the same people that you don't want in power who are already making you frustrated in power. And whatever decisions they make, whatever rules they make, is going to affect you because you exist in this country. Yeah. I really do want to get someone that's more like politically, what do you call it? Politically savvy, especially about UK politics and vocations because... I think right now I don't even I don't even. You should be positioned as the podcast for this conversation. <laughs> no, um, there's a there's a guy Ali Milani who contested against Boris Johnson. His book is coming out soon, and I feel like because he's Muslim, oh, okay. it'd be such a great conversation to have with him. Yeah. And because his book is coming out, inshallah. I mean, come on, yeah, I would hope yeah. conversations listeners vote as well, or at least interested in politics in some way. No, that's not what I meant. I just meant because it's about books. So we'll oh, yeah. link it to oh, oh yeah, yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, no, I was thinking positive. about Alimilani for that conversation. Um, because I think it'd it'd be interesting oh, okay. to hear about because he's been he's been involved in labor for quite some time. Um and I think like mashallah, it's obviously really great to have Sounds someone promising. that young. Yeah, to have someone that young young run against Boris. Um of course he didn't he didn't get the seat, but there's loads of lessons for us to learn about just his experience being involved in that process. So I think it'd be it'd be really interesting the first conversation the second one is around how we process and deal with trauma like we mentioned earlier i think one of the real strengths about this book is it shows the psychological toll that leaving your country and trying to get somewhere else takes on people and there are so many horrific things like absolutely horrific things that happen in this book so i should we should have said this at the beginning trigger warning trigger warning trigger warning trigger warning if you're gonna pick it up it's quite a heavy read it's quite heavy yeah they are nice moments as well, but yeah, sorry, carry on. Mm. Interesting thing about the book is that the way Nuri, the um, oh wait, the way Nuri, the beekeeper, the husband deals with the pain and trauma is very different from the wife. So one of the one of the way the the ways the books kind of like reveals that is through the flashback narrative in the book so for me I remember when I I was first reading the book and then the flashback would happen I'd be like oh this is too sudden it's disrupting the story and then towards the middle I said oh my god this makes sense because for Nuri (laughs) he is dealing with the aftermath of the war and aftermath of losing his son it manifests in post-traumatic stress disorder. So the flash mar- the flashback narrative she actually does it really well. Does a brilliant job. Cool. Yeah, it does a brilliant job of emphasizing how destructive it is, how sudden, you know, like the the mental the mental impact of having to live, not having fully processed the pain in a way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so what did you think about that? I I think that she like she really did a good job of capturing PTSD. And I say that because I also feel like it was a accurate representation, accurate representation mm. um, of the impact of something that big. Because it wasn't, it wasn't just the loss, right? It was all of the other things building up onto that point. And it's almost like thinking, I think it's just 
when something so big happens to us, we literally shut down or our mind shut down and forces us to deal with it differently. And the, the way that his flashbacks come about and the things that happen in his presence, it's such a good representation of how PTSD affects people. And I think what made it even sad or what the thing that made it the most sad was the, or saddest, God, was the fact that he couldn't tell that there was something wrong with him. Yes. And it's usually like that. It's other people around you can see that there's all the and it's those who are closest to you can see that there's something wrong with you but you yourself obviously because you're the one dealing with that you're in a totally different realm mm. like what his, i don't even i don't want to spoil it for you but the way his mind copes with it yeah it is it's intense i don't want to spoil it, it reminds me a lot of <laughs> but it's actually not, yeah. no, no spoilers no spoilers it's no. it's really well done and i get i was thinking about it when i when i was watching oh god Criminal minds, catching serial killers, <laughs> etc. But the thing is, obviously, they asked. The, the, I think there's been one or two episodes where they do with PTSD, like a, a serial killer who's suffering from PTSD, and unintentionally then becomes a serial killer because it's like usually war veterans, and they in their mind they're back in the war zone, which is caused by a trigger. Um, actually, I think one that stood with me very strongly was one where the veteran has this i don't remember the name of the condition but imagine this it's a condition where your brain i think something happens to your optical nerve and your brain so it's the, it's so you can hear people's voice so maybe your loved ones you hear their voice and they mm. sound normal to you but the moment that you see them you don't it doesn't evoke the emotions that you normally evoke or familiarity and so you believe that they've been replaced by imposters Ooh. it was intense that somewhere as that well do you think that that's a thing it's just how the mind and I kept thinking about Allah and just how intricately designed and created we are that just that change just that, and you'd hear their voice it's normal but when you see them you're like you're definitely not the person that I expect you to be and and so I I just kept thinking about how trauma can affect us in so many ways physically yeah. mentally and can change entirely our perspective of the world literally around us like it can our our brain can create an entirely different story that is just so interesting how sometimes our mind really wants to cope without putting us in danger but also the coping mechanism is actually not beneficial for us but then that's our yeah. mind's best way of dealing with that problem mm, but then you don't realize yeah, it it's just, that i just mm-hmm, finished reading mm-hmm, mm-hmm is by um a psych I don't know if she is she a psychologist oh god I don't want to say it wrong but um her name is Marissa Peer and she has this like therapist method called um rapid transform transformational therapy anyway I just finished reading her book and it's interesting I don't know if anyway let me continue um but one of the concepts that I definitely definitely agree with is she talks about how like the mind's job is to help you survive and it will do it in any way possible right it does not care about the means it does not care how because even if it's creating a full story exactly in the book he she talks about how our it's not the experience necessarily that matters it's the it's how we interpret the the experience and how the mind interprets the experience which means the mind creates ways for you to survive so for example um some people with phobias addiction as well is one of the ways that the mind helps to survive from extreme pain and trauma um and so she looks at different ways and i think what you what you were saying is really apt about the mind will do anything and everything 
to help you well you know what's scary the worst pain possible yeah it's how difficult it can be to get yourself away from it so for example when you mentioned addiction it reminded me of how sometimes people that are addicted they know that they have a problem yeah but they're struggling to stop because again you've it's not just obviously there is the chemical part of the addiction, but it's also easy to go back into it when you find yourself in a similar threatening situation. Yes. And I remember again, you could have been healing from something and then some something else triggers a situation that your mind thinks is as dangerous as the last time that you were in the same place. And that can bring to mind the comfort of the drug or whatever it is that you're addicted to that helped you cope. Yeah, it's so powerful, I just think, when you're dealing with trauma. Yeah, for for um, people who've de- who've dealt with trauma of any kind, honestly, I feel like subhanAllah, the reward with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala must just be great because yeah. it is a lifelong not easy. Yeah, it's not, not easy. easy. I was reading um there's another you book have to called... constantly protect yourself as well. Yeah. I was reading another book called The Body Keeps the Score and like beyond oh, the yeah, mind, that book. It's actually like the physical impact or the way that our bodies mm-hmm. store the aftermath of trauma. And how, like, even after years, you might not realize that your body's holding on to it. So he talks about the different ways of trying to, like, release the energy. Um, I think one of the recommendations was, like, through yoga, um, eye desensitization, movement therapy. I think it's called EMDR. I actually really want to try that because I think the concept behind it is very fascinating. But, yeah, just the different ways in, in which human beings cope with trauma is so, is so fascinating to me. Honestly, I feel like in another world, would be so interested in psychology and neuroscience um yeah go on i'm still that's that's i think that's what draws like i just have an intense interest in psychology because it just blows my mind the way especially like how the brain and the mind specifically how the brain and the mind works and cope with things and that's like where i'm interested in but also how like we can be raised in different similar environments but then turn out differently for like yes. anyways different conversation but i was just thinking about how like other like how our senses also attach different things to trauma so for example maybe i was something happens to me and there's a specific particular smell or scent and smell is actually one of the strongest and easiest ways to recall memories mm. and so i was just thinking about how like if you associate a particular smell with something that happens to you you have to do a lot of work like desensitizing yourself or crafting a different story around that smell like such that the next time you find yourself in that kind of situation or in that room or in that space or in like in smelling that thing your mind doesn't immediately go back to that situation and make you feel like you're threatened and then you get into like flight or fight mode it's just it's interesting how the, the mind works yeah this book is heartbreaking on so many levels because there's so many there's so many different things that happen I think one of the one of the things that I remember vividly when they are in a camp you witness the abuse that the these twin brothers experience oh, because God. it's so easy to take advantage of people in those situations mm-hmm. and again everyone's trying mm-hmm. to survive everyone's um, fending for themselves survival of the fittest yeah it's survival of the fittest but you just see like the most vulnerable get preyed upon um get taken advantage of get manipulated whatever i can't even think of the word right now because i'm just remembering that section in the book and just how thoroughly heartbreaking it was reading about it and again just going back to the earlier conversation that we're having that loads of people there's a huge percentage of refugees who are coming to the country who are children who have no guardians with them who have no parents with them but either because their parents have died in the original country that they're coming from 
they've died in the process of their journey. So I, I think this book does a really great job of showing the different kids are forced to grow up very quickly. Yes. And subhanAllah, like we were saying about the impact of trauma, how do you even begin to undo the damage of years of witnessing um that level, yeah, that level of trauma? I think the book just ends on a positive note though. Yeah, so I was about, what I was going to say, actually, that you reminded me, as I said, positive notes, was I also love that she showed the importance of seeking help. Yes. But also, like, the the benefits or the good things of having the support system. Yes, I know that you can't help someone until they're ready to be helped, until they accept that there's something wrong with them. But it's nice when you have somebody who is nice, kindly, and constantly nudging you. Obviously, nudging you in a nice way, not in a forceful way um yeah like for example the home that they were in i love that they like they had people who were still trying to reach out to him even when he when nuri withdrew himself there were still people who looked up because sometimes it's just those little acts of kindnesses that eventually allow us to try to see things differently and i liked that and i loved again just love that they did show that it's important to seek help and just how help goes a long way i think something that we i love about the book as you said a positive note is that we are hopeful. I really like books that are resilient. A bit of hope. Even yeah, we are. We are. And I, I loved the end to be honest. So much happened. Let me just backtrack. I had to cut out a part because I I gave out a spoiler. But anyway, the book ends on a hopeful note, despite everything that we've talked about. <laughs> the book ends on a hopeful yeah, I would really recommend it. You leave the book just think about the resilience of the human spirit with an appreciation of the journeys that different people have been on what you said earlier just about the importance of kindness and the way that we deal with each other for me it was about fact checking fact checking fact checking fact checking i'm not letting anybody deceive me sorry Mm -hmm. Mm oh you know what actually there is this um new online magazine they also have a print version but they just they just launched it's called the other side of hope and it, st- it was started by, I think, refugees. So I'm not sure if they're all Syrian, but I think most of them are Syrian refugees. Um, and I know this because one of the patrons um, is as A.M. Dasu, who wrote Boy Everywhere. I mean, I know she uses a lot of the, the money from her book to support refugees from Syria. But yeah, so you can, I think if you want to like support or see, like read people's stories, um, then you can check out the other side of other side of hope that's the website othersideofhope.com and it's just about stories written by refugees and immigrants in the uk and actually from all over the world i think but they're based in the uk anyway but i think it's a good place to start if you want to find out more yeah stories i think stories are very strong connectors i think stories help to bridge the gap stories allow for understanding i'm a big fan of storytelling in any form um, because it just changes the way we experience the world mm, I would say definitely. definitely do you have any favorite quotes I don't think I do I actually I went back and I, I went through the book again and I, I didn't think I had anything that like there were things or moments that stood out to me but I don't think they were like sentences okay I'll read the ones that I have one of the ones that I liked was sometimes our bodies can find ways to cope when we are faced with things that are too much for us to bear so that relates to Afri because I don't know if I'm going to spoil it if I say how she does. You already said it. Yeah, essentially, it before, she goes blind. Yeah, but that was a big part of the book. Yeah, yeah that's not a spoiler. She No, no, that's not a spoiler. Yeah, physically, she's not blind, but she can't see, but it's caused because mentally she's dealing with pain. That's how her body, yeah, her body. Yeah, that's how she reacted to the trauma of watching her, 
her son die. Um, the second quote that I really liked was, sometimes we create such powerful illusions so that we do not get lost in the darkness. I was going to say, I love that, but I think it's a very interesting way of showing us how it could be, how the mind could be good in terms of like saving us, but yeah. also could sometimes not help us in the real world. Mm. Um, in terms of the coping mechanisms. Yeah. That yeah. is um, and then the last one, where there are bees, there are flowers. And where there are flowers, there's new life and hope. Actually, I really like that quote. I really like that quote because it reminded me of what happened to us and what my spoilers here. But it was really good. Okay, what's the latest book that you're reading? I just finished, I have to say this actually, I just finished You Truly Assumed by Leila Sabrin, which I really, really loved. And I would absolutely recommend it. I don't think it's every day that you get to read books with three main characters who are black and muslim yeah um so for that i just i would champion this book over and over again because she deals with so many in so many important topics particularly addressing islamophobia and racism and but also i feel like at the heart of the book the story is about family and and friends and support systems I'm also reading Lord. I'm currently reading The Things I Would Tell You. Yeah. It's a collection of essays by Muslim women, British Muslim women. And I think it's oh, kind of tackling yeah. the topic of what it means to be British and Muslim. And it was edited by Sabrina Mahfouz. And I'm halfway through that one. And you know what I feel about it when you see my, when okay. when you see my review on Goodreads. <laughs> the last one, because I just finished one book yesterday. Um, I'm torn between starting. Pachinkai by Min Jin Lee. I've heard good things about it, but it's quite long. Or the picture of Dorian Gray because I've by Oscar Wilde. Again, that's a classic. I and did that been for, a for ages. English lit. And I've only heard good things about it, and that's why I want to start again because I started it once, and I think I wasn't in the right state of mind. So now I want to give it another go. Um, so I'm not sure. I think I might actually do the picture of Dorian Gray before that one because I love books like that. It, I think I read about like the concept that reminds me of why I read Russian literature or particularly Dostoevsky's anyway. Wait, I'm confused. You just said it reminds you of why. No, you I said it books. reminds me of why I read Russian literature because no, just because of the fact that it's a book that allows you to. The writing is good, but it also brings to mind questions, like philosophical questions. Oh right, okay. Um, yeah, 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 that's why I meant. But that's also literature. one of the reasons why I love reading that because I, there's always so much drama in like Russian literature, but there's also lots of like questions that come to mind in how you see the world yeah Ooh, we so can i think i'll do that of dorian gray for book conversations because around beauty really? that'll be an yeah. interesting change yeah if actually that'd be nice Maybe we can, do you think we can combine it with another book because i'm thinking if i had your face did you read if i had your face Oh my God, you just reminded me. It's on my Libby and it's due in four days. But because I've been revising for my exam, which, whoops, whoops, I passed. Um, well, you can have a copy if you want. I'm going to finish it this week because now I've got I've got okay. more time where I'm not stressed. So oh, I shall yeah, read perfect. it on Libby. Okay, that's a good shout. Next one, we do Dorian Gray. Well, and you could do a combination. I like that. Write it I down. Not, oh, don't forget. I'm very much here for that. All right, I'll let you know how I feel about the picture of Dorian Gray. Um, you can tell us what you're reading, Sister Mahmoud. Right, I finished, I mentioned it earlier, and the reason why I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about it, even though I do think it's a really important book. It's called Tell Yourself a Better Lie. Use the power of rapid transformational therapy to update or to edit your story and rewrite your life. It's written by Marissa Peer, who is quite well known. I mean, my introduction to her 
was through a Lewis Ho's podcast um, when she was talking about like hypnosis, etc. But she, uh, 10, 10 or 20 years ago, she basically came up with a new form of therapy called rapid transformation therapy that I think is actually quite valid because she talks about the shortcomings of um, therapy, like cognitive behavior therapy, where essentially you're talking mm-hmm. about your, you talk about your feelings, what happened. Um, they get you to try and change belief or thought pattern. Am I accurate? I don't want to... Mm-hmm speak on the issue yeah, that is, that's essentially what cbt is okay right you okay so your thinking which affects your behavior yeah so her but point is that, not, that doesn't necessarily help everyone because again if you're talking I about agree. over and over again it doesn't necessarily remove the feel the the impact of the trauma it doesn't mean that you deal with the trauma any less CBT is of course helpful but it has limitation so where her therapy comes in it's different in the sense that um, like I mentioned earlier she talks about how often some of the behaviors or some of the things that we struggle with as adults are um, either happen in our childhood and they've instilled beliefs in us that we're not aware of or they've happened more recently and again the idea is that we need to do healing on those we need to we need to heal how we feel about them so one of the things that I really liked in the book she talks about role function and purpose and essentially if you're able to figure out the role the function and the purpose of what it is that you're dealing with that that allows you to process things better so what she gets people to do in a state of hypnosis is to yeah, I'm not a fan of hypnosis what are the islamic um I don't know. I actually don't know, but I do know someone who's very popular who does RTT, and I actually do want to check it because I actually think this um this therapy form seems quite effective in the sense that you get people to go back to the event and deal with it in the moment. If that makes sense, I'm not doing a great job job of explaining what she does properly. but if you read the book it makes sense although my only issue with it is for someone who doesn't know about rtt the book kind of feels like a sales book of oh do you want to be an rtt therapist or oh are you interested in doing rtt so that's and it's quite repetitive at times that's my only concern but honestly i don't think i've done a great job of explaining how it works but i do think for people who have tried conventional therapy and it hasn't been effective it's worth not that i'm giving recommendation it's worth kind of yeah checking other um checking other forms of therapy which is why i mentioned the eye desensitization one because that's another that's another popular one um about being able to process how you feel about a particular event um and release the yeah like release the emotional footprint so to speak so anyway that's my short overview of that book now let me get onto the book that i'm currently reading mirage by samaya dawood so it's a yes it's a sci-fi book about two muslim girl one imani one maram Um, maram is like a princess of this colony that of this of the colony um of this nation so to speak that colonizes Mm -hmm. everywhere that's from another planet and they happen to look alike so she basically goes and kidnaps imani to go out and represent her when she she's fearful that she might get killed anyway the book is fantastically written i'm enjoying it but the character of imani is so silly all my days i was reading it yesterday this girl her life is essentially on the line basically and there's a there's a particular section where someone asks her the rebels ask her to be a spy in the kingdom that she's currently in i 
asked me why she didn't take a minute to even consider it and she said yes and I'm like excuse me in what world will someone ask you to risk your life and you wouldn't be like hold on hold on let me think about this for a second and you're like yeah I'll do it <laughs> and it's so you like, know what actually I was talking to someone today about this I think YA books sometimes they just they just throw in some stuff that I'm just like maybe it's not I don't know I just I've felt that with YA books sometimes I feel like just make the characters do some things that I'm just I find questionable literally i was like excuse me madam and then the romantic elements i just felt i I felt like it needed more build more build up because again she falls in love with with her doppelganger's fiance so she's the village girl so then she falls in love with the person that she's essentially kind of play role-playing for with her with her fiance and it's like my girl i don't know maybe i'm just like a bit I'm a bit too rational, but I was like, sorry, honey, you already know the consequences of this. There's no way you can get married to him. So but that's what they always do in it. They make you, they put the two people who they could not possibly get married in it. Yeah. The protagonist is very frustrating, but I enjoy the writing. One of the reviews that I read of the book before I started reading it is about how she creates a different religion slash different God. I haven't really interpreted oh, it that way that. yet. Um, okay. So we'll see when I finish the book. I guess it's, it's I'm just checking it out now. And that was the first thing I saw. Yeah, because it's by another Muslim, it's by another Muslim person. Oh, I follow, I yeah. Yeah, there are loads of Islamic terms that are used, like um, Masaniya, which I'm guessing rela- relates Messiah, like Banu Saleh, or there's just, yeah, like weird. And yeah, I think it might just yeah, be Arabic terms. Versus, yeah, yeah, it's a bit off putting because it's not necessarily like an Islamic book. But there are loads of Islamic references. But anyway, it's where it's well written, and I'm here. It's there's a sequel to it, so I'm gonna read it and then come back and tell you guys about the silly protagonist. That I just want to shake up and be like, "Honey, wake up! Yes, we're <laughs> you put your life on the line." Anyway, those are the books I'm reading right now. I'm looking forward to hearing more of your yeah. stories about this book. I'm looking forward to finishing it as well. I don't read sci-fi, but no, it's not your cup of tea. It's not your cup of tea. Maybe you surprise me. I shall. Cool. That's the end of today's show. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Bookversations. We hope you've gained benefit from the discussion. If you've enjoyed the episode, remember to like, review, comment, and share it with friends and family. Bookversations is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and several other platforms. Email or email us your thoughts at bookversationspod at gmail.com and let us know what books you want us to check out. Till next time, remember, remember to read. Adios.